Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. How awesome is that? Like people walk into our church in all kinds of uh, different settings, but to come in and not uh, know English. One of the things that she did not uh, say, Carolina, and, and Fernando and Carolina, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story, uh, for being a part, being so faithful uh, to our, our church or to your church. And, um, you know, she had said uh, that I was her, her main English teacher, which is a little, little scary. Uh, but part of what has happened um, through that is they translate uh, this message um, every Sunday. And there are folks in here with uh, headsets that are having it real time translated. And today, Victoria and Kim are back there translating, like real time. And they say, Mike, you talk so fast. And I am aware of that. So thank you, um, you guys. What you do for our church um, is amazing to extend the reach, to demonstrate what we are willing to care about. Uh, and we're just so grateful uh, that um, we start to see this kind of belonging um, that actually transcends a lot of normal obstacles and barriers um, to that. So just what a, what a great story, what a great way for us to start our time. The Bible um, is, is full of metaphors, in case you, are, you know, from, uh, don't know that. The, the fact that Jesus is called the Lion of Judah doesn't mean he's a literal lion, right? And it's the Lion of Judah. There's, there's pictures that are painted for us through the language of Scripture, a lot of the Old Testament particularly is filled with um, poems, things that invite us to consider God's knowledge covering the earth like the waters in an ocean. Um, there's all sorts of things that give us a picture of how God's work happens that's sort of things that we can see and imagine that give us pictures or ideas about how God actually is. And one of them is, and it's used in symbols and uh, other ways in which we participate together a lot of the ceremonies. One of those is the Lord's Supper, where we take bread and the cup, or the bread and the wine, as some of you are familiar with the bread and grape juice, depending on what tradition you grew up in. And so today we're going to be sharing communion uh, together. I know in Leland, y'all have a little bit different uh, a vehicle that you are going to be using. I'll be passing it out. But in Newburn, we've got the, and, and here we've got these things. Uh, everybody get one of these? This is a strange little thing. And um, we've already talked about, uh, when we did communion last time, about that, that to take a, a kind of a, a piece of, I'm not even sure what it is, um, bread substancey thing. It's like manna, what is it? Uh, and grape juice out of a creamer jar is an odd thing to do. <clears throat> and a lot of times, especially when we use these, People always ask, do y'all not believe in the body? Well, it's on the top. There's two layers you have to peel. We're not gonna do it now. I just wanna get the awkwardness out of the way so you're not laughing at it. We're gonna try to have like a moment where we share this together. But it's a metaphor. It's a picture. It gives us, allows us to enter into something in a way to do something that we share the experience together. So that's what we're gonna be doing today. The other thing that I really appreciate about this little mechanism here, there are those of you who are here this morning, and you grew up in traditions where communion was kind of a rite of passage. Like your first communion was a thing and you needed to dress up for it. You had to have a class for it. A lot of things like that. Um, there are others of you who come from traditions where you need to have someone who looks a lot holier than I do, right, to deliver uh, communion to you. 
And you know, our posture here is we believe that Jesus has invited us to the table. He is the high priest who reigns and he is the one who serves us and invites us as we share this together. So that's how we approach this. And so here's what I want for you to know. If you're here and you're uncertain about whether you should or shouldn't, you should or shouldn't, you are welcome to hold on to this and to bring it up to us after or to meet someone in the connection. And we will be happy to walk you through that. Uh, to help you process that in whatever way might be helpful to you. We do not want to undermine what you have heard or learned, but we do want to invite you into a way for you to be able to participate, what we believe authentically the way Jesus intends for us to. And so that's part of why we're going to be doing it uh, this way. But it's a, it certainly is a weird experience um, to just take a little wafer and a little shot of grape juice together. <clears throat> but it has a, a sense of meaning and, and it, it hinges on our willingness to participate in it. And so we all have to come and say, we're going to do something that's a little odd that we don't normally do. We're going to do it together. We're going to do it for some specific reasons. I'm going to try to outline what those specific reasons are today. This comes from, uh, it's in all four of the Gospels where Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples or the Lord's Supper or some traditions call it the Eucharist, uh, which means Thanksgiving or thanks. And so uh, Jesus was gathering his disciples right before his crucifixion. They were going to celebrate the Passover. The Passover is arguably the longest running religious meal in culture today. And it celebrates something very specific. It celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, from bondage in Egypt and into the promised land. That's what they're commemorating, celebrating. They're re-entering that. They're acknowledging their history. They're stepping into that and then acknowledging the, the deliverance that God has provided for them, and they do this by uh, a particular meal of lamb and uh, matzah bread and all kinds of things that happen in the culture. And so this has been something very, very familiar to the disciples as they prepare to have communion together. But on this night, Jesus did something very different. When he picked up the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is going to demonstrate, right, the sacrifice of my body on a cross for uh, mankind, for humankind. And then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is shed for you to bring about the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so this is just echoing what Jesus had been telling them was gonna happen all along. He brings it to this meal. Then what happens, of course, after this is you have um, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. You have the denial by Peter. A host of other things happen. Jesus' crucifixion, ultimately his resurrection, and this whole new ushering of a way of life under a fundamentally different promise or different covenant or different rule. So that's what's happening, what we're gonna kind of do today. Part of what you need to understand about our church, the idea that we're talking about is that we are addressing in this that these followers of Jesus in the early days had a sense of devotion. They devoted themselves to some things. And in our context, what we are mostly concerned about is that we devote ourselves and learn how to devote ourselves, we'll talk about in just a minute, to Jesus as King and ruler and all his things and to his Lordship. And so whenever we struggle or walk or pursue, it's always towards this. We're not trying to just get Jesus to be our buddy, our friend, to be cool with what we're doing. We're coming underneath what he says of us and what he has for us, his rule and his authority. That's what we're talking about. And the implications of that, that shows up also in this idea that we also therein, we pursue a sense of relational connection with one another. And out of that, we pursue a unified 
um, image-bearing uh, quality. That while we are diverse and there's diversity in us, there's a unity in what we represent that comes underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this the last few weeks. If you haven't been here, um, I would just invite you to go back and to listen to those. And so as we begin today, you know, part of what this, let me, let me keep going. In Acts chapter two, it talks about how these people began to gather underneath this and pursue this. And they did this in all sorts of different expressions and different ways coming from different backgrounds. Those are hearts, by the way. I just got tired of drawing them. And so they, they have this sort of connective tissue, this thing that's happening in this body of Christ. And it says four things specifically. They gathered together and they were meeting together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a community that was willing to learn and to pursue. And I can't overstate this enough, right? That we are a learning community. If you're here, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or how much you know about the scriptures, we are always learning and pursuing and trying to understand better how God reveals himself to us. I remember having a conversation with the guy, he came up, he was talking about this, all these certainties of God and how I needed to do this differently. And I said, how, what percentage of God do you think we know? He goes, I don't know. I'm like, you think we know like 95% of God? Like all that God is, we know like 95% of it? He said, probably not. It's like 50%? He said, probably not. I said, like five? He said, maybe five, maybe two, maybe one, right? We're getting real in all. And, and what that means is in all those gaps, right, we have to trust that God will reveal himself to us. And we learn together. That is the picture. We learn together. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We talked about that last week, looking at 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll be back there this morning. They also devoted themselves to this word they call fellowship or koinonia, which is a sense of, of sharing our lives together, of bringing something of ourselves. There's a companionship, a willingness to relate, to, sorry, uh, to commit ourselves to one another that leads us to the breaking of the bread, which is this picture of sharing. That we, we commit ourselves to to know, to be known, to, to learn together. And then out of this, we cooperate to ensure that we have what we need. That's the picture of the body. And then out of that, it says they, were the, they voted themselves to the breaking of the bread. And then it says to the prayers or prayer in a lot of your Bibles. And this is the practices. That would be a better way to define it. The practices of participating together under this banner. And communion is one of those practices. We gather and we share something together that has, it's, it's a way for us to position ourselves to say there's something else happening and we want to receive or trust or be reminded of that. And that is the picture of this. We've been talking about this idea of the common table. And, and the table represents a, a, a family setting, right? It's where, where everybody can, anybody can come. But there's also a way in which we sort of show up at places. When I was growing up, I have two brothers. So there was three of us, three boys at the table and my mom and my dad. And we, my mom would cook. She would often make um, homemade mashed potatoes. They were so good, like homemade, you know, freshly mashed and lots of butter. And what we'd always try to do is we'd try to figure out where mom was gonna put them at the table and get our chairs closest. Because what was happening is we showed up at the table, right? We were thinking about how are we gonna make sure we get our fill? And what happens is it affects all the other interactions. Hey, mom, 
You look really nice today. Why don't you put, your, put the bowl down here, right? Or you'll do something extra nice for her. Try to get a little bit of position so that you can get to the potatoes first. Because what you think is that they're going to get all of the potatoes and you're not, not gonna get any left for you. So if you go first, you can get all you want and then let them fight it out. And the way in which you learn how to interact with each other on the table is possessive, it's territorial, and you fight if you need to, right? That's what happens. And this is how we show up in most places. Most of our interactions with other people are territorial and defensive. You're always gauging and calculating. Is this person gonna take advantage of you? What's gonna happen if I offer them something else? Let me just ask you a couple of questions to be, kind of get you thinking. Number one is what, uh, how are you likely to interact with other people on any given day? Right, when you wake up in the morning, and you kind of prepare yourself, you do your morning routine, right? Maybe you get your coffee, um, you know, maybe you do your quiet time, you're desperate for Jesus because you know you're gonna have to interact with people and you need Jesus to interact with people, right? Whatever it is, but you're preparing yourself for something. And all of a sudden you just show up, how are, how are you likely to interact when you go to the breakfast table or you see your kids or you see your husband or your wife or you go into the classroom or you go into the office or you go into the coffee shop? Are you likely to overlook people? Are you likely to, how are likely are you to interact with those in traffic with you? Well, it depends on what they're doing, right? I mean, there's just, a, there's just a, we all have a natural way in which we just interact with others. And the second question is, what is it that governs those interactions? More than likely, it's just your own personal preference in any given moment is going to determine how you interact with other people. Sometimes we care, sometimes we don't, right? Anybody feel like that? Um, sometimes we're, we're, we're nice and we're sensitive and we're attentive and we see people and other times we look right past them because we need something from them. And this is all governed by something. And what, what's happening in this mode is there's something else that we're being asked to govern the way we interact and participate with one another as a people. Now, the ancient cultures had a little advantage in this because they were often communal in the way that they were organized because of agriculture. And in America, we, we have arranged our lives for the specific purpose of not needing anybody for anything. So we are at a significant disadvantage when it comes to learning how to live like this. So this is, this is the picture. The thing I love about this idea, this, this metaphor of a common table, is that this is our kind of posture. It reflects both our belonging and our invitation to belong. And one of the things I want you to understand, right, you're gonna come in here, we believe that you belong here with us together, regardless of what you've done, of where you've been, of where you believe, what you believe, regardless of any of the things that you think might disqualify you from being here, we believe that you can and should belong here. And the reason is because in your belonging, in your belonging, it, that's how you become, right? You don't go work on it on your own and then show up when you figured out what we expect from you. You enter in, participate, and it is in that participation that forms us and shapes us together into what God is doing. I could read passage after passage after passage after passage, I think that gives evidence and credence to this. And so this is, the second thing is that this, this communion today as we share this space together, it's a leveling space, right? Once we get past 
um, the, the jockeying for more mashed potatoes and we realize that we're a family and we're there together and all of our imperfections and dad says, boys, settle down. We all settle down and we participate, we realize there's enough potatoes for all of us and all the things happen. We begin to experience the reality of what we all have in common, that we are all there for the same reason. We are all hungry and this is sustenance for our hunger. This does something for us. This is a metaphor for us because we're not going to feed everybody today. This will not fill you up. You'll still need lunch after this. But what, what we are saying is that we all need something. We all need something for our souls, right? And we're all coming to this place to be nourished in those places in the exact same way from the exact same source, that it really reminds us of what we have in common regardless of where we come from. For some of you, regardless of what you have believed before, that you're looking for this, we believe that this is the satisfaction that God provides for us in the way in which we learn how to receive and trust and walk in the gospel. The second thing that I love about the meal as a, as a metaphor is it symbolizes both abundant provision. We have avocados in our house for crying out loud, right? Talk about abundant provision. You cut them and you, and you look at them and they're black. And, like, Ugh! and I'm just kidding. You, you, right? you, you, but there's, there's preparation. There's a, when, you, when you create a spread, there's, it's, a, it's a symbol of abundant provision and that, that God somehow lavishes on us beautiful things. And it's also a declaration of dependence because no matter how abundant the provision is that meal, you're going to need another one shortly thereafter. And it's a declaration of dependence on daily bread. It's both of these things. This is a leveling place. All of us come here in the same exact, the same exact need, longing for the same exact thing. And so when, I get, when we gather today, I want us to consider a couple of things. Number one is I want you to consider yourself. Like we're gonna talk about examining ourselves. I want you to consider yourself. What is the condition of your own heart and your own soul? Like where are you really? And I'm not talking about just today in this moment, but just sort of as a, as a, as a generalization. What's been happening over the last two weeks, the last two months, right? Where are you? What's the condition of your soul? Is there, is there a sense of exhaustion? Are you hanging by a thread? Is there a sense of, oh my gosh, you know, maybe it's a subtle frustration or just a, a, an undercurrent of anger because things haven't gone the way you wanted them to for some particular time and you're kind of tired of it uh, happening over and over again, right? What, what's the condition of your soul? Um, number two, is what is it that you are likely to withhold from other people? Right, we all have this. Why would you withhold something from people who want to care for you? Well, there's lots of good reasons. Some of you have learned that the only person you can trust is yourself and you've got evidence a mile high to support it. And, and the challenge is, if we're gonna become this, we've gotta learn. We've gotta learn how to trust each other. We gotta learn how to know and to be known. We live in a culture of relational bankruptcy, right? Most, most people, it's all calculated, transactional in how we interact with other people and sometimes even in our closest relationships and friendships and our families. And what we're asking is to learn how to know each other, to ask questions, to get curious, to see each other, and then to also avail ourselves to be known. These are all part of things that we learn. And the older we get, the more stubborn we are, the more careful we are, the more we learn how to just let people know enough about us to get what we want, what we need, and that becomes enough for us. We sort of harden ourselves from actually really developing the kind of community, the kind of sort of buy-in that we need uh, from this. Uh, to consider others, like how do you look at other people? 
in our congregation? Like, how do we see other people? One of the advantages that I have is I see kind of the breadth of what happens in a church like this. And there are really, really beautiful things that happen every single day in our church. And there are devastating things that happen every single day in our church. And we hold those together. We have great staff and volunteers and people in our congregation who shoulder both of these things all the time. And it's really considering others. And the third thing, and this is what I want to kind of put in your minds, we're gonna have to start this process, is have you considered yourself in the context of other people? Like what you actually contribute or cause by your engagement or participation or activity as a part of us? What do you bring? What is your sort of contribution in the context of other people? So this is what's happening in uh, 1 Corinthians. They've been meeting together and they're not going so well because they use it as a chance to sort of separate the haves and the have-nots, to sort of jockey for position and pecking order, who's in charge and who has more clout. This is not unusual in any gathering of people. The disciples even did it when they were trying to figure out who's the greatest among them. Right? If the people who were walking with Jesus were worried about who was gonna get the right hand uh, when he got to be king, you know that happens with us. And you know that happens. So this is, this is not unusual. And Paul is sort of rallying or railing against this. So we've got to learn how to do things differently. We've got to make sure that our interactions are governed by something other than just our own personal preferences. And this is how he kind of, you know, we looked at this last week. But in this, this one section, as he talks about, like you, you sort of defame the Lord's Supper, he says, and when you eat it, I want you to do it in a different way. Here's what he says to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 31. He says, for I received from the Lord, which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke the bread, he gave thanks. Or sorry, when he, and he, when he, he took it, he gave thanks. And he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. One thing I want you to notice how does he describe the Lord's table? On the night what? On the night Jesus was betrayed, right? It's interesting that, that at the table, Jesus talks about somebody who's gonna betray him. They'll go, it's not gonna be me. He talks about someone's gonna deny him. It's not gonna be me. And then he invites them all to drink of the cup. He knows this and he's demonstrating. So he's demonstrating his heart for those who are, who, to bring us together, to do something in us. And he talks this way, and this is how Paul says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, this is the cup of the new covenant of the forgiveness of sins, the new covenant of the way in which we would live our lives, a new promise, a new authority, a new rule. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a posture of us. And then he brings smackdown. Verse 27, so whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. How you feeling, right? Who wants to do that? So like, which is like, well, it's just easier to pass on this. I'll just not do it. Or, you know, then, then what he says then, he says, okay, so how are we gonna do this? He says, so everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink of the bread, uh, eat the bread and drink from the cup. And so what we do, if you were like me, you start rolling through the Rolodex or scrolling through, you know what a Rolodex is, scrolling through the feed in your mind, 
trying to figure out all the sins that you've ever committed and make sure you've asked appropriate forgiveness of them. Anybody do this? You're trying to think like, oh my gosh, when I got in the grow zone line, it was so long I said a bad word. I need to, you know, and you start just the list right down the road of all the things that you need to confess so that you don't drink or do this in an unworthy manner and then for drink judgment upon yourself. Or some old translations say drink damnation on your soul. It's like, whoa. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Verse 29, whoever eats this uh, eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number have fallen asleep or died. Now here's, we looked at this last week. I do not believe this means if you do this today and you're not perfect, then you're gonna get sick and possibly die. That's not what I think this is saying. I think this is talking about, because if you, if you look, what it says is that if, if, if we eat and drink without discerning the body, without discerning the body of Christ, without discerning this and what is happening in this, if we do this, that's where we drink judgment into our own souls. And what I think he means is that when we come in here and we're trying to get our own way, we're almost always, perhaps always, going to do that at the expense of another person, ultimately causing harm and division and separation. And ultimately that is the kiss of death on all the things that we hope for and long for. I think that's probably more of what is at stake in this. We don't learn how to consider others and ourselves within the context of others. And then he adds this line at the end, and this is how I want us to frame our time together this morning, verse 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come underneath such judgment. If we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not fall under such judgment. If we were more discerning, right, we might find a different way for us to live, a different experience for us. And he's inviting us to consider and to discern and to understand and to work together to learn what it means to be a body in this particular day and age, in this particular culture. Right, a lot of us in our interactions, we are prone to think or to overthink the way people are processing and interacting with us. And it's always based on our own securities, our own sense of insecurity, our trust or our distrust, right? And he's asking us for something very, very different, for us to know and to be known, for us to recognize some things. And even in our remembrance, it's something more than that. I think what's happening is we're being asked to receive something, not just to remember it. When I think about this, right, this was a jolt to their sentences to bring a familiar Passover meal and to say, here's a new way of thinking about this. It would have been jolting to them. And even today, when we think about, right, the body and the blood, a lot of you have done this in your own lives for a lot of, uh, a lot of your lives, perhaps. And what you'll think is you'll go through and to remember means I'm remember facts about Jesus, his death, his resurrection. I'm remember some things about him and I'm gonna take and uh, eat the bread and drink the cup. Or for some of you, it just becomes like you're trying to like enter in and it's this, this sort of rote religious ordering of things. And there's more than this. And this is what I want us to see. This is about us and about discerning what is happening in us. It's about discerning what's happening in you so that it contributes to what is happening in us. It's a common table. Your belonging matters. It's formative to you and it's formative to us. It's a, it's a miraculous thing. Um, a lot of the old, uh, the ancients would talk about it as the grape 
are the grain and the grape. The grain and the grape. We know it as the body or the, uh, the bread and the, the wine. And the, but it was the grain and the grape. That was the, the picture. And obviously, this is neither one of those. But to participate with grain and grapes, the grapes would be fine. The grain would be a little tough. Right, but what you begin to see is this, this picture. This is from the second century, how they would pray as they began to gather and talk uh, and share this, this particular meal together. It goes like this. From the second century, this is shortly after this movement of Jesus and they devoted themselves to these things. It's starting to happen. They would gather to practice or to, to share this meal and they would recite or have this prayer read over them. And it goes like this. We give you thanks, Father, for the life and truth revealed in Jesus Christ, yours is the glory forever and ever. As the grain once scattered in the fields and the grapes once dispersed on the hillside are now unified on this table in bread and wine. And so now, right, we see your whole church seen, uh, we see your whole church seen be gathered together. Is that not extraordinary? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. The, 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 the picture like it's grain and it's grape, right? The grain is scattered in a field. The, the grapes are scattered on a vine in a vineyard. And now they're together in a different form. Like this is exactly the picture that something has happened to us. And now here we are collected together in a different form, something else as a result of something that has happened in us. And what I love about this even more is this, this is a call for us this isn't just for us to receive or to trust. It's us to be together to consider some things. I was reading this this week um, from Brian Zahn. He makes this observation. He says, when we show up at the Lord's table, it's not unprocessed grain and grape that we find on the communion table. It's bread and wine. Grain and grape come from God's good earth, but bread and wine require human intervention and participation. It's extraordinary to think that God intended for this. He could have put this together and just made stuff that we could just grab and use. But he called us to put our hands and our minds and our hearts into something to produce and to contribute and then to bring it back and to share it. And then as we gather around this, it does something else. It produces or creates or causes something else. And the thing I want you to understand, like this idea of human industry or human agency or your participation, what it means is that what you do tomorrow and the next day and the next day matter. A lot of people I talk to, they struggle with their work because they think, well, my work isn't, isn't sacred. It doesn't do it. I make widgets or I sell this or I do that. And the thing is, this is the whole picture. This human industry. It's human agency. It's you bringing what you have to bear on the world. The grain and the grape needed human industry to cause the bread and the wine to bring them together for us to celebrate, right? This whole scattered element that God uses is transformed into something different when we bring it and participate and cooperate with him. And the way I want us to think about this is that to remember isn't just to recall facts, it's to receive something from him, a new reality that this is the way we're intended to live. That your formation affects our formation, your belonging affects your formation and our formation. It's our willingness to know and to be known, to participate in these ways. But it's also in their end, it's a new responsibility, right? It's a new responsibility. The reason that I love this is because this isn't some religious idea to make you feel better. Forgiveness is not to make you feel better about yourself. 
Forgiveness ushers you in to a whole new way in which we are to live with a responsibility to steward that way. A lot of people I talk to, their whole problem with forgiveness is, if God forgives me, that just means I can do what I want. And what I would say to you, if that's what you think, you don't understand forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't a license to do whatever you want. Forgiveness is a way for us to learn how to steward God's grace with a freedom of not having to pay or to owe for what we have done, that that has been done for us. And so I love this idea, but it's a responsibility that comes along with us to show up. If we were more discerning regarding ourselves, we might experience this in ways that we have not yet imagined or considered. The reality that God has created and he has given and he has made this way of life available to us, to you and to me. But we, you and I have to act with him and act together for what he intends and is intended in the first place. We have to show up here together to commit ourselves together, to steward the responsibility we've been given together. Do you realize that people look to our church for a lot of different things? We have a responsibility to steward what we've been given really, really faithfully in this season. And then to learn, to learn, to live under the beautiful rule of God's love and under the authority of Jesus. It somehow is expressed in this miraculous unity of his body, of us, and to learn how to live in a willingness with one another as an expression of God's spirit. All right, I wanna invite Danny and Don in Newburn and in Leland to come up and they're gonna continue to lead us uh, in communion together. For those of you here in this room, I want for us to consider a few things as we take this together. And so it's gonna make a little noise, but you can go ahead and get your little flicky jig out. <clears throat> the bread, I guess I just made it awkward, didn't I? Your bread, the grain. <clears throat> there was a lot of human industry to get this thing together, right? Here, here's what I want you to see. When, when Jesus held the bread up, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. What he was saying is this is the final sacrifice once and for all for your sin. That what he did is sufficient to bring forgiveness to you no matter what you have done. And a lot of us, right, we don't, we, we, we go, oh yeah, I get that. And we don't sacrifice like going and getting an animal, right? We're not likely to do that, but here's what you are likely to do. You're likely to go, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness of my sins. Thank you and I can't really believe that you would do this and this is what you add to it. I promise. I'll work harder. You're making some sacrifice to try and demonstrate that your effort is worthy of what he has done. There is no sacrifice needed anymore. He did it because he loves you and this is what he's promised to do from the beginning. And what he invites us to do is not to promise to do better. He invites us to receive and to learn how to steward what he has made available. He has promised us a way to learn and to live and to find a sense of His voice and His call and um, freedom, our own holiness in the life that you actually live. And he's inviting us to take and to receive and to trust that what He has done is enough without you having to promise anything else. Did you hear me? Right, for you to be able to receive His forgiveness and just to say, yep, I'll trust it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. To usher in a way of life under the rule of God's love 
It allows you to live as a human being, as a person who does not owe anything for the sins that you have committed. So we take and we eat in acknowledgement and receiving and in trust that is a reality for us. We'll do this together. And then he took the cup, and I love this. You know, the, this. The sacrifice of sin and living in forgiveness has taken me a long time to really get to the essence of it. I think I'm, I'm starting to, like I'm starting to learn what it means to live in forgiveness as one who is forgiven. It's taken me a long time, I'm a slow learner. What it's done is it's provided me with a freedom Provide me with the freedom not to be held hostage by guilt or shame or man, I should do better, but rather to say, Lord, you are with me right now and your grace is sufficient for this moment and to learn how to steward that. Well, that's been my pursuit. And I think that is a fruit of the new covenant. When he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, they would have all had a picture in their minds. And what it means is this, is that there will be this place in which the law will be written on our hearts. There will be something in us that allows us to live from. I think this is this prophecy or a pointer to God's Spirit in us, us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. That He would, that he would, um, that we would not lead uh, anyone to teach us because God Himself would be, His voice would be available to us. No one to mediate. He Himself would be available to us. We would dwell with Him. And then He says that I would be your God and you would be my people and your sins I would remember no more. A lot of us have better memories than God, right? Your sins, I remember no more. To walk in a new way, a new reality with the responsibility that comes with it. To avail yourself, to trust, to learn, to devote yourself to the things that bring about His will and His way in your life. And when that happens in your life, it somehow miraculously affects our lives. So this is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink of this, right? You proclaim the Lord's death until He returns. We're going to close the song, and I want us to stay seated uh, as we begin. The reason I want you to hear the words of the song, it says, you're turning over tables, you're calling us to return, right? We're your territory, we belong to you. Lord, we're your church that we are your people and you are our God. We are your temple, would you make us holy like you are? Will we enter into a process which we can offer ourselves, right, fresh today, not to try and make up for what we've done, but to try, excuse me, not to try, but to actually live the life that he's made available to you through what he's done. Father, would you help us in this moment? For those that are here and they are racked with guilt and shame over what they have done or what they have caused, that somehow your forgiveness is substantial enough to run underneath and to bring freedom and hope that they long for. Now for those of us who are likely to take forgiveness for granted, would you remind us of the beauty and the power of your grace? Father, that somehow all of this, what we do together works in some miraculous way to bring about your image to bear on the world around us. Would you make us holy like you are? Would you help us to become a distinct people, a 
precious unity in a world that is so divided. We would be a light. We would be salt. We would be leavened. We would be a fragrance that is pleasing. All these are metaphors, Father, of what's been made available to us. Would you help us to steward them well? I lift all this in your son, Jesus, who is our King. Amen.